66 of Digital Digital Get Down. Recording live from the frozen wasteland known as the Great American Midwest. Correct. Yep. The Arctic frozen hellscape mm -hmm. of Minnesota yes. at the moment. We are recording this episode a little bit early, but sure. we're going to call it our kickoff to Black History Month. Mm -hmm. I don't think that all of our things are going to be Black History Month ones. No. But this one will be. Yep. And on the Book Digits Instagram for the month of February, mm -hmm. I'm only going to post uh, books by black authors. And I'm going to do my best to read some of the ones on my to-read list that are by black authors. So I'm going to... I should be doing that year-round, but I'm going to use this month as the impetus to get that started. And you shamed me this afternoon by going yes. through my bookshelf. White person, white person, white person. I was saying... Are there any black authors? And you were the one who went white, 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 white. Yeah, now I feel terrible. We're going to go to the Kindle and I think I'll prove myself. I don't think so, but we can go to a bookstore and I'll get you some books by black mm. authors for val as a Valentine's Day, Black History Month combo. Okay. One-two punch. Nice. Have a gift. Okay. Are we going to talk about what we did today? Are we going to talk about our network TV show? Gosh, so much going on. Our lives are so exciting. Today we, we went... washed a dishwashing rack in the dishwasher. <laughs> That's how exciting our lives are. I really didn't know how it was going to come out. And then out. you were like, let's go see how it came out. <laughs> it was very meta to wash the dishwashing rack in the dishwasher. Kind of. Um, We went cross-country ice skating cross today. Cross-lake. Cross-water? What's the opposite? Of country? Of, like, cross-lake? Aquatic? Cross aquatic. Um, anyways, everyone should do it. Mm-hmm, it was really fun. Like, skating in circles is, like, so last century. It was, like, cross-country ice skating versus that's what track I, That's ice what skating. I called it, yeah. Yeah, but, like, not cross-country skiing, but, like, in terms of the race. I'm thinking in my head yeah. of, like, the events. Gotcha. Running events. Yeah, it's just fun to be able to skate and just be able to skate wherever you want. Yeah, off the off road. Yep, basically off rink. But there were bikers out on frozen lakes as well. What the fuck? I have just today learned. Here she goes. She's got a hot take. I have just today. Tank. This is obviously not our kid friendly episode. I have just today learned that people bike across lakes. Get a fucking snowmobile, <laughs> or use a fucking road like a normal person. I casually mentioned that I heard someone who said they bike across a lake to get to work, and she flipped her shit. What the fuck? What? I said, are you worried they're going to hurt their pristine ice? No! But why would they do that? And I said... It reminded me of the people who we've seen bike on beaches who always look miserable, and they're kind yes. of like, why am I on this fat, tired bike right now? Kind of like Lin-Manuel in that movie, the same look on their face. Yeah. I'm, I should not be doing this right now. I... We just, we saw one today and I just wanted to be like, excuse me, can I interview you? A whole gang of them. I just have one question. Gaggle. Why? Like, what possessed you to wake up this morning? I know. I'll bike, but on a lake. No, for me, it was oh. the people running around the lake when it was minus five degrees today. Get, an, get a better outdoor activity. The other one that was weird was the lady running with her stroller, like jogging stroller, on the lake. Yeah, that's strange. There's to exercise on with your dogs or your babies on ice. It's a path for that. Strange. We had fun skating. Obviously, we think we are um, frozen like purists, and skating <laughs> is the only acceptable option. I would rank it skating, mm -hmm. walking, snowshoeing, a bunch of other stuff. Uh-huh. Cross-country skiing, biking. Snow biking. Yeah. Biking's okay. not even on the list. That's not a winter sport. You can't make it a winter sport. It's not. If you're biking in the winter, you're taking a summer sport that doesn't fit in the winter and just being stubborn and doing it anyway and then bragging about it. All right. Glad you got that off your chest. We also finished The Good Place Season 3 today, mm, which is yeah. not getting its own episode. Um... You know, 12 or 13 episodes, It's we're in the end of January. Like, shows don't end in January. They yeah. either end in December or they end in April. I think they 
kind of thought they'd be canceled and didn't actually know where they were going to go with that or didn't have enough. Uh, The last episode was I actually enjoyed, but the ones before that, eh. So I'm a proud Good Place contrarian. I kind of just tune in and talk about it because it gets so much love that I just, I revolt against that. I enjoy The Good Place, but it goes back to the thing that we complain about a lot of something just can't be a decent TV show. Mm-hmm. It has to be the best show on TV. Yeah. It's like, no, it's not the best show on TV. It's fine. Yeah. It's an entertaining show. It's different. You usually have a couple the, good jokes in it. There's a couple um, good jokes. There's some thinky stuff. Like the, the yeah. overall, like, I don't know how to describe it, like tone or aesthetic is different than other shows. And yeah. I appreciate the uniqueness of it. But that doesn't mean it's the best show ever and we have to laud it. Like, oh, it's the greatest Mike Cheryl worship at your feet. Mm. Like, no. His best show was the good play, was um, oh. was Parks and Rec. And it's gone Parks down to Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is uh, inconsistent, but, but decent. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Good characters, but inconsistent with the jokes and the plots and stuff. Yep. And then the good place, which just tries a little too hard to be too clever sometimes. Yeah, and they still have to explain away. I mean, most people's default criticism for anything is, well, you're doing too much telling instead of showing. You do too much. (laughs) Doing too much telling instead of showing. And I don't know if that's quite what the show does, but there's still a scene in every episode. And this time they even even joked about it. Yeah. And then they went on and did it anyways, where a character has to say, I know what I'm about to do is sort of out of character and doesn't make a ton of sense, but here's why I can sort of justify it. The last two weeks, it was first Michael saying why he was going into a nervous breakdown when he's not actually human still. I know his whole character is based around him getting, you know, human emotions over time. Yeah. But they have to really explain why he's now, like, totally... That was a um, unable to do for, anything. Very forced. Yeah, they could. They should have come up with a better way to do that. Like maybe he like had to disappear and go argue with them about that, and then she yeah. had to take over until he got back, or I don't know. Sure. And then this week was all about Chidi and Eleanor, who are not the best shippable man. They couple had on some television. chemistry in the beginning, like the first season when they were forced together yeah. to study uh, philosophy. philosophy. But this, like, last season where they met on Earth and they were in the university and there was a study, like, they didn't have any chemistry and they, like, pretended like they did and it was, I yeah, don't know. Just not terribly invested in uh, in that relationship. I'm actually happy so, about the way that, I don't want to spoil yeah. it, I guess, so no spoilers. But we'll just say um, Chidi has to over-explain a decision and you're kind of like, is that the only... Really? Is it, though? Is it just... Is that the only way for the plot? Or is it really the only way? But I'm it not reminded was... me, what show or movie was it where we were like... Oh, it was the video game. Um, the, the Spyro? No, the Escape from the Prison one. Where we were like, oh, is that yeah. the only way you could have accomplished the that? The only way? Really? It's the only way. <laughs> yeah. um, but I'm happy for it because uh, I'd like to see if they can get that good chemistry again hmm. but they seem like they're ba- basing too much of the show off of the assumption that you care about their relationship yeah like tahani like the, totally disappeared this season and like the emotional uh notes that they're trying to hit in the show 100 percent depend at this point on eleanor and chidi yeah and i didn't buy eleanor and chidi so i think that's why the season didn't really work for me because yeah. a lot of that the moments was about the two of them and i just hmm. wasn't that invested in it all right but we'll see. We'll see how they go next season. Like, we'll keep watching or I'll keep watching at least. Should we hit up some good news and bad news? What do you think? Sure. On your mark, get set, bake. Um, now me. Yeah, we'll wrap up our tennis discussion. We are recording this on Saturday evening, so we've seen the women's final. But not the men's. Which is fine with me. I broke some big news this Save morning it. to you. Uh, a lot of like the uh, tennis podcasts and writers that I listen to, they've all been like, the WTA is the shit. Like it's one of the best sports leagues on earth right now. You're like ladies tennis, right? Ladies tennis. Uh, you know, the men have a lot to catch up with. And I've always been kind of like, I like the idea. I want to believe that, but I'm not totally on board. Yeah. And then this fortnight of uh, Australian Open. I found myself much more captivated by the women's matches, partially perhaps because of the three sets versus five sets. Five sets is just a lot 
to be invested in. And I feel like a lot of the men's matches are either three-set blowouts, in which case there's no point in paying attention, or you, it's like an NBA basketball game where you turn it on with two minutes to go to figure out what's going to happen. You watch yeah. the fifth set. You know, I was watching a lot of these matches on, you know, delay and fast forwarding. And in a men's set, I would always fast forward till it was 4-4 and watch from there. Yeah. Because they're such great servers and usually not great returners that it's like, okay, they're going to hold serve for a long time. Let's see what happens at the end of each set. But the women's final this morning was just really enthralling from start to finish. You had Naomi win a first set that maybe she kind of stole. And then she had the second set wrapped up. Three championship points. And fell apart. Emotionally. Yeah. And it was a critical, I think, moment in her career to be able to bounce back from that. Well, that's what I've been impressed with her other matches because... Every single match I've seen of hers, which isn't that many, granted, but mm-hmm. the ones I've seen of hers, she's had this kind of tipping point moment where it's like she's getting upset or she's losing a lot of points or making silly mistakes. What does she do now? And I think she's one of the best athletes that I can think of at reining that emotion in, especially yeah. at 21. Like, we, my other good news, well, is figure skating, we talk about that a little bit more, sure. but I feel like you see that a lot in figure skating where they cannot overcome that emotion yeah. whether it's between the short and long skates yeah. the whatever or if it's during a program mm-hmm. where they like can't come back from that. like that's one of the things that i think people who haven't who haven't played to a certain level of competitive sports don't realize how much of it is mental mm-hmm. and not physical um and i'm just continually impressed by her that she has that mental wherewithal and mental stamina to be able to turn it back around because I I don't know how she does it. I was confused in one of her earlier matches because the commentators said, oh, Naomi, you know, always has her emotions in check and she never shows emotion on the court. And I was like, what matches are you watching? She works so hard in the finale. She, uh, in the, in this final, she cried in the second set on court after a point. Yeah. And, and the impressive, the impressive mm. part isn't that she doesn't show emotion. Correct. It's That's that what she I'm does to get to. and yeah. gets under control and continues to play like a right. professional. And fortunately, you know, ten, you know, we can transition to figure skating. But you have usually two minutes to figure it out in figure skating. She had another set and a ten minute break to figure it out, which yeah. helps. But. but in figure skating with uh, your buddy, which buddy? Nathan Chen. Nathan Chen. Our we throw. saw. Skate after skate that he couldn't get control dum, of his emotions. Dum, 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 dum. Like, uh, it wasn't, yeah. it's not just the one program. Like, it's the, um, I guess it would be similar to a tennis match if you were to win and then, like, barely win and then not do well in your next match. Yeah. But I feel like what we've seen in figure skating is if they fuck up the short program, yeah. they then fuck up the long program, too, because they're still, like, in their head about it. Uh, last couple notes from tennis. Uh, Serena Williams is almost back in my good graces. Okay. Pourquoi? So she exited in the quarterfinal, I believe. She was up in the third set, five, five games to one, Mm -hmm. which is a gigantic lead. And she had a point in the game to, to win the match on her serve. And she gets called for a foot fault. I won't bore you with the technicalities of what that is. But anyways, she gets a second serve and twists her ankle at the end of the point. And I actually thought to myself at that moment, I was like, I wonder if Serena Williams can can finish off a match like on one foot. If she could beat professional tennis players <laughs> with one foot. If she really, really had to. Because in tennis, you can call for the trainer... And you can retire. There's no other option. Yeah. Like you can't get an extended timeout or something or come back tomorrow. Um, and she proceeded to lose six games in a row to lose 7-5, which is just crazy. And she didn't call for the trainer once because calling for the trainer does give you a quick break. Like a 30-second timeout. Yeah, and could have um, potentially helped the injury. But I guess the thinking was with a sprained ankle, sometimes it's better to keep it moving than to let it freeze up kind of yes so anyway she was very classy afterwards she didn't even blame the loss on her injury she just credited her opponent um so she exited the tournament with a lot of class but that was just shocking that was the shock of the tournament yeah 
Uh, on the men's side is going to be two old men, as always. This mm -hmm. time it's Novak and Rafa. Rafa. Uh, Rafa, Rafa. I will be rooting for Rafa <gasps> because he took out Sitsipas. And so that that ended the Sitsipas is the next thing storyline. Thank you, Rafa. Uh, Novak really embarrassed poor Luca Puy from France. I think Luca won like four games out of three sets. It was not very pretty to to watch. Uh, but the best thing he has going for it is he is the only like top fifty man on the tour with a female coach. Joe Quick? Uh, no, the guy he beat. Oh, so he's everyone salutes him because he hired a female coach, which is pretty rare. I don't even think very many women have women coaches. I was. Transitioning to figure skating again. Dude. I was thinking that with figure skating too. That fucking guy. Yeah, every Orser, every Ryan man's Orser. coach. <laughs> we which had, which we one were, are you again? We were riffing we were, on yeah, that the we other night. That was funny. We were, you had to be there. We were riffing on that. We were riffing on the racist cameraman at the open. Yeah, just constantly panning the crowd for Asians. Find me Asians now. Find Sad me Asians in hats. Excited Asians, worried Asians, <laughs> optimistic Asians, just. All the Asians, just because um, Naomi is, is half uh, Japanese. representing Japan. Yeah. But it was the same in Serena's match. Yeah. Just because they just kept showing random black people. Yeah. In the crowd. You were like, is that her box? And I was like, no, those are black people. Then why are they. The, the, my question, my, my follow up question was, why do they keep showing them then? I think they're one of like three black families that were there and they just kept panning to them. Mm. So, what's our figure skating update? Um. Well, I was just thinking that a lot of the figure skating coaches are men as well. You don't see very many female figure skating yeah. uh, coaches either. But we watched the U.S. Championship. What were we watching? First, the Minsk one. <laughs> <laughs> Minsk. Um, and then, yes, it was the U.S. Championships for this year. I didn't see any of the men. I think they might be on tonight, but anyways. Um, and this tiny little baby mm, won. 13-year-old. I was impressed with the 15-year-old who ended up coming in fourth. That is too young. And then the 13-year-old who will just be eligible for the next Olympics, which is why she's allowed to be in this championship, I think. Got it. Um, she ended up winning with like an amazing score. She did two triple axles, one of them in combination. Uh, and she's 13. Her name's Alyssa Liu. And she just sobbed. Like, she is not old enough to be doing yeah. this she was just not in control of her emotions like yeah it was just like she's the age of my like my eighth graders yeah she should not be at this level of sport but i was very impressed by her she was very cute she was very genuine she had no idea how to do an interview mm. um but she was very impressive on the ice she's tiny and she does these triple axles and it's ridiculous like yeah that was the only disappointment with this morning's tennis match was that naomi has won too she much didn't know triple axles that too but and she's gotten Tried to get better at public speaking, unfortunately, well, which, then is, which is bad for everyone else. But then she gave, in the middle, she went, I forgot the rest of my speech, <laughs> so just thank you and bye. Yeah. Um, hello? <laughs> thank you for watching the match? Um, she sounds like, like a, a middle schooler on YouTube. Like, hello, thanks <laughs> for watching my videos. Yeah. Okay, do you have any other good news to share? No. Um, Hulu dropped their price, kind of like in response to Netflix bumping up their price. Okay. I've been getting incessant emails from Hulu about uh, setting up a trial. Yeah. Because it used to be under, under my, my email account. and yeah. it's under yours. Um, so I don't know what's happening with them if they just are trying to remind people they exist yeah. with the Netflix stuff going on. But I've been getting a lot of emails from them. Um, we, we actually started, we started Killing Eve officially, not even we joking did. about it this time. We actually we're did, one and fourth, I liked it. We're one-fourth done. That's it? There's only eight episodes? Yeah. I thought there were ten or twelve. This is not what this episode's about either. Anyways, um, for bad news, I realized that last week we were both supposed to go on book rants, and we kind of forgot. About which book? Like, last week we both read books we absolutely hated. Mm, true. So I figured we could just do a quick recap of that. Okay. I read Gary Steingart's newest <sighs> comedy called Lake Success, and it was. Hey, it. I should have listened to my wife when I told from her from start told him to finish that these terrible white authors are terrible. One of the funniest books in terms of like just pure comic material. It was like better than most of those Netflix stand-up 
comedy shows we were mentioning last time. But let me just let me just hit you with this. It is a modern day story. It takes place during the 2016 election. Okay. Like that's used as like plot points to okay. to gauge the timeline. And it follows a white millionaire hedge fund owner. Okay. And the book starts and I'm like there has never been a better time to mock and ridicule rich old white guys. I was yeah. like, yes. This, like, how did Gary Steingart get this book out quick enough to, like, capture this moment? Yeah. He tries to make the character lovable, empathetic, sympathetic. Three words. Yeah. Read the room. Yeah. Read the fucking room, Gary. That's four words. I'm sorry. Is just so odd because he, he, the character is so ridiculous and that's what creates the humor, but he tries to humanize him and I cannot, for the life of me, figure out why. Either it's on like a different plane that's too smart for me, or I was just like, dude, what? Yes, Heather. I know why. Why? Because he's a white dude. Uh, he has like, uh, a Russian Jewish background though. He's not like a typical waspy person, but anyways... I was just like... Did we not learn from the Covington High School thing that white people want to excuse other white people? Yeah, it's just a bizarre book. Uh, you were fired up about... Why do you keep reading books like that, Patrick? One of your... Like that, too. Yeah. That's the same one we talked about last week, where, like, funny, witty writing, but in the end it doesn't make up for their Very similar mistakes. Um, I read... I don't even know if I want to say it. I feel like I might get hate mail from this. This is one of the books we had to flip over at Barnes & Noble. Uh, what if it's us by combo Becky Albertalli and Adam Silvera, two of the more famous YA, LGBTA, all the letters, um, you might say authors right now. Becky Albertalli, didn't she just come out with Love Simon? Simon versus the Homo sapiens agenda? And you would say yes, but this is what authors do when they try to capture five minutes of fame or fifteen. So this could go back into the conversation we had the other week about like authors who you love one book and then you want to go read more of them Oof. because she's published like four books. Yeah. Um, there's the upside of unrequited, which I was not a fan of. I mm -hmm. think that might've been before Simon. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Love Simon. Huge fan of. Yep. Um, Leon the offbeat, which I read like the first few chapters as a sample. Yeah. Not impressed. Not going to read it. Let's take the worst character from that book and retell the same story. And that's way, a winner. She's gay, I think. Eh, everyone I is sort of gay in Becky Albertalli's universe. I mean, I kind of think everyone is sort of gay in real life. Sure. Um, but yeah, not to the extent that she has it, I guess. <laughs> um, and then there's this book. Mm. And I read Adam Silvera's um, They Both Die at the End, which was well acclaimed. Mm -hmm. Um, it was kind of like that short story that you put in your other story. Huh? About um, people who, like, at the end of their life, there's, like, oh, they yeah. know when they're going to die or something. Gosh, my short stories are getting a lot of shout-outs on this podcast. Um, they're all for sale. Uh, stories and scribbles. Google it. Didn't you have a story about, like... Uh, the one in the afterlife one? Maybe. What are you talking about? In Adam Silvera's yeah. They Both Die at the End, these the people find out that it's their death day, mm -hmm. and then they, like, team up and, like, are friends. Um, but I just had a weird memory about a different okay. story that you had, I don't I think that's mine, but... The... Sorry. Okay. <laughs> I don't know which one I'm thinking of, and I'm not going to waste more time <laughs> talking about it. But anyway, so the, he had this other book that is, like, this love story about two guys who find out that they're going to die that day, and they don't know when. They just know it's sometime that day. Uh-huh. And um, I was not a fan of it. I didn't like it very much. Mm -hmm. And this story just took the worst things about both of their other stories and put them together into one book. And they said, you know, what's like a real niche uh, pop culture reference that we can capitalize on? Oh, Dear Evan Hansen, the yes. thing that people have been talking about for like three years now. Yes, they obviously wrote this about a year and a half ago when, or two years ago. Peak when Hansen. like Peak Hamilton and Dear Evan Hansen, the, the year that both of those came out, or was Dear Evan Hansen the next year? I think it won stuff the next year. Yeah, so it was sometime in that period because the title, which I just thought was like a generic uh, phrase, What If It's Us, uh, it actually what comes from Dear Evan Hansen, and like each um, 
section in the book or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Each part of the book has like, the first one is what if, and then the next chunk of the book is called it's us. And then the last one was, um, what if it's only us and only us or something. It was bad. And one of the greatest twists in pop culture history, like I'm still convinced that Dear Evan Hansen is a story about gay characters. You say there's no gay characters in it. No. And they actually make fun of of homophobia in it a little bit. Hmm. Or they make fun of being gay. There is homophobia. I don't know. But gay people love theater, so they love Dear Evan Hansen. Is that the connection? I don't know. Hmm. It was just not... A very good book. It was very annoying. There was not very nothing very unique about it. The characters were super irritating and slightly toxic. If you want to feel read my thoughts, you can always go on Book Digits and read my review, You're or you could go subtle advertising, and I love or it. Or you could go on Bad Reads and the top rated <laughs> review on that. Oh my god! Website. Can we buy BadReads.com? Maybe the top. Um, rated review on the book site that shall not be named for that book also sums up my feelings pretty well. I made you read it to me twice because it spoke to me. That was very cathartic. It really spoke to me. So, would not recommend that book. Feel free to send me your angry messages if you disagree with me and you loved it. it, But I was not a fan. Not a fan. Um, Okay, so we've done our advertisement. We've done our... Did you have other bad news? Yeah. Okay. It's a serious bad news. Do you want me to save it? Of course. Uh, save it, no. My serious bad news is that there was a, a school, I'm not sure where, but a middle school, I think, where four black girls were strip searched in school because they were too hyper and too energetic. Say what? And there were questions about them being on drugs. So they strip searched them in school. Why hasn't this story popped up more? I'll give you one guess. Because they're black. Yes. Hmm. Because black kids are um, assumed guilty by a lot of people. Like, they're they're not given the innocence that white kids are given. Um, so, yeah, I'm trying to find... Um, I'm trying to find the article I was looking at of it, but... Uh, three of the girls were, like, stripped down to their underwear and searched. The fourth girl refused uh, to strip down and was then suspended for refusing to be strip searched. That's an odd tactic for for discipline or for investigation. Also, I just don't... Like, speaking from someone who's who works at a middle school in January... January is fucking awful. Like, I figured out it's because in January, uh, all the adults just want to, like, lean into winter and just, like, stay home under a blanket and, like, hibernate. And all of the kids have, like, ridiculous cabin fever and are just losing their minds. And, like, that juxtaposition is a serious problem in schools because adults just want to lay down and kids want (laughs) to run around and be crazy. And it's really difficult to manage that. So... Like, all of my, all of the kids, K through 8 at my school, have just been losing their goddamn mind for the past three weeks. So, I, I, and I have never once, ever thought, huh, I wonder if these kids are crazy right now because they're on drugs. Never. Jeez. I'm like, they're crazy because they're children, and it's winter, and we've had indoor recess all fucking week because it's so cold, and there's been no sun, and the kids are going crazy. And it's after winter break, and they're like they're not used to being back in the routine of school. Like, they're I, I, why would your first thought be these kids must be on drugs? And would you have had that same first thought if they were white kids? Probably not. Reminds me of Marco Shiro's um, "Anger Is a Gift" book. Yeah, and the stuff that they go through. So that's your moment of American depression, brought to you as always by Heather. All right, I say let's get into the good stuff. Okay. Um, so we're talking about two diverse diverse works, I guess, in sure. a way. I say movie first. You always agree with me or defer to me, <laughs> right? Okay. So what do we? What movie did we see? What flick? We saw Into the Spider Verse. 
which I was adamant against, was a made-for-DVD movie. Made for Redbox. I was like, that movie has Redbox all over it for you me. You were actively against it. Yeah. I wanted to go. Uh, I won. You did. Um, I should give a PSA mm-hmm. for the people. Um, if your uncle has recently died, would not recommend seeing a Spider-Man movie. Mm, that was and poor. poor I did plans. not think of that uh, before we went. So I was just thinking, oh, it'll be a cute movie to go see, and it'll take my mind off of, of things. Poor Uncle Ben. Like he doesn't even get any screen time anymore. But he's he's dead in every single every single one. Yeah, hmm. every single universe. Um, anyway, so... That would have been a good twist for one of the multiverses. I would maybe pass, um, if you have some uncle drama that you're dealing with. Avuncular is the adjective. Um, but uh, otherwise... Yeah? Um, did you want to give a summary of it? So, it's a Marvel movie. Mm -hmm. It's not really in the canon of... The Avengers, I don't think. Uh, that Not would be at a all. different universe, I suppose. How can sp- how many you uni- know? Oh, I see what you're saying. So there's a lot of space-time physics going on in this movie. It is an animated movie mm-hmm. with voice actors providing the voices. Yeah. Um, and basically, at the core of the story is Miles. Is that his name? Miles Morales. Um, and he undergoes kind of the same, the age-old uh, Spider-Man origin story where he gets bit by a radioactive spider and learns all of these new skills and tries to adjust to his powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the twist is that he is living in the same universe as the other Spider-Man. Yes. Although he sees the real Spider-Man die. So he's like, well, shit, I guess I'm the big guy on campus now. And you were correct. So, (laughs) oh my god. I was like, I was like, get fucking Jake Johnson on Oscar stat. Because I'm like, who is the voice of the Peter Parker in this? And I was on my phone. It's Jake Johnson, duh. And I'm like... None of this sounds like Jake Johnson. If it this, did a little bit, a at little first. bit, and I was like, "This it, is the, enough for like plausible deniability." Enough that I was like, "Okay, sure." I was like, "This is the best voice acting." I was like, "He is doing Chris Pine doing Spider Man." How is Jake Johnson doing this? I'm pulling out. I'm doing. I'm doing a IMDb in the theater. I'm like, "What's going on?" And then Spider Man dies, and I'm like, "Hmm." And anyways, due to some crazy, uh, you know, evil nemesis shit going on, a break in the space-time continuum opens. Yes. And universes get overlaid with each other. And boom, you've got multiple spider things in the same Earth, New York City universe. Correct. One of which is fat, depressed Peter Peter B. Parker, whatever they called him. Voiced by Jake Johnson, who sounds exactly like Jake Johnson. No Oscar for you. <laughs> Take back that Oscar. Chris Pine can get the Oscar. He was beautiful. He sounded like Chris Pine. How did I not know that he was in it, though? Real quick I about the Oscars. I got a feeling that Black Panther's going to... I got a feeling Black Panther's going to win. Okay. All the other movies are so blah. And I don't and think... problematic. I don't... I, I think they're woke enough... To not give it to Green Book, because Green Book is the, oh, look, white and black people can be friends movie. Yeah. And I think they have so much white guilt. Um, still from the... Oscar's so white and all that. Yeah, even though Moonlight sort of won, even though they didn't get to fully accept the award, I think they're going to be like, let's do this. And they want to make it popular. It'll be a story for sure. Yeah. Um, so anyways, they're... Basically, as always, Spider-Man has to save New York City and save the world. Uh, but, yeah, there's a lot of characters in this in this multiverse. Um, so did you know about Miles Morales? I thought Donald Glover was supposed to be Spider-Man at one point. That's the last I'd heard about a black Spider-Man. 
Well, there's a book. All of this well, is like a new comic. from comics. They're all from the comics. Yeah. But like, there's a book that's come out of Miles Morales, who was like the uh, Afro-Latino. I should have looked up the proper term. Yeah. Um, he's black and Latino, and it, he is uh, Spider-Man. And there was a book, like a kind of YA book, graphic novel or book that came out about it. And like all the kids at school were reading it or wanted to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a big deal. And um, so, yeah, I was surprised that you, I guess you don't really keep up with stuff like that. Mm-mm. And the main reason I knew about it is because like the kids at school were talking about it. But um, it was interesting. I've also never read a comic book in my entire life except for the Illustrated Bible. So. Infants. Infants. Um. I forget what I was going to say. Uh, so yeah, that's there is backstory of Miles Morales. You're saying, yes, is they there didn't make him up for this movie? Are there offshoot comics of all the other ones that pop up? Like, is there a, sure. a noir Spider-Man? Is there actually a Spider-Ham? I don't. Which was think the most so. disappointing part of the movie because we yeah. had just seen the John Mulaney special, and I was like all in on him being this wacky thing and instead it was just kind of like skating the line of doing a porky pig um plagiarism and it just wasn't that funny i was just trying to figure out who the voice actors were other even you're aside so from, bad at this I'm you didn't so even know it was it. nick cage i'm so you bad knew at it was catherine hahn and was i Doc get, Ock. i'm i'm Two worst things, and that I'm bad at it, and I care, and I it really yeah. bugs me. Catherine Oscar Hahn Isaac was, was apparently in Ka- he's the guy at the end. Interesting person, yeah. Catherine Hahn was annoying or weird, I guess, because we had just watched the Parks and Rec episode with her, mm-hmm. and then so I'm picturing her as um, what's her face? Yeah, Jen. Jen from Parks and Rec when she's actually this like evil genius Doc Ock. Yeah. Um. So that was very strange. Um. The Penny Parker. The little um, Japanese future New York one. Yeah. Um, Nicole Glenn. Was, she's from Orange is the New Black. Okay. So that's why I knew her voice. Um, and then Maharshala Ali, which I don't know how he sleeps because Batman. he seems like he's in everything. Uh, he and the dad, him. I didn't realize, was the one of the guys from Atlanta. Oh. Okay. Um, I also don't know enough about the Spider-Man verses to know like so Miles seemed to have some new powers he could like turn invisible correct and um the taser thing mm-hmm. was that is that something they made up for the movie is that a Miles Morales thing uh I don't know but I was gonna mention the video game at some point in our in our discussion here and that's with what I tried to suits and with all the gadgets, like Spider-Man's more like Batman than I ever knew him to be. The part that confused me in this movie was didn't didn't Peter Parker say like you had to install the web shooters? Like he like installed a gadget on his arm? Yeah. I thought the web shot Jake, out of your wrist. Dick Johnson gave him one. Yeah, but doesn't the web shoot out of your wrist? Not in the new Spider-Man. Apparently in Spider-Man not. Homecoming, he's like making web fluid in his in his desk at school. I'm sure a friend of the show, Jake, will be able to, to answer all of <laughs> <Jake> these. Jake Johnson? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I have been playing Spider-Man for the PlayStation. That's what I was trying to use to tempt you to see the movie. I thought you might want to. It made me want to go back and play the game more. I'm doing so well with open world collectible games. I'm like becoming a true gamer. Sure. And you cannot you cannot swing on a web in between buildings to no. save your life. It was giving me vertigo. That video game was like too <laughs> realistic. I was like afraid of heights in that video game. Um, I thought the swinging graphics uh, were really cool in the movie. We got to talk about the animation though. Go for it. You and I were both looking around the theater. First of all, I was still in this Jake Johnson fugue state. <laughs> and fine. we were both like... Where are the fucking 3D glasses? And we came in Get like, a, me the glasses. like a little bit late. Like the yep. trailers were already going on. I was so like, there were no glasses out here. I'm getting my money back because I can't see anything in the bo- in the background. The girl next to me probably thought I was like being super creepy and staring at her because I was like, I kept like more than once, like probably four or five times I looked over and I was like, is she wearing 3D glasses? Because like... The texture of the background or something. It was very pixelated because it's supposed to look like a comic book, like a printed comic book, I think. Yeah. But it was making it look like it was blurry. blurry. Like yeah. you couldn't see it. And especially when like the universes started colliding, I kept just being like, Am I, is this supposed to be 3D? Yeah. Like, 
I almost wish we had seen it in 3D because maybe it would have made that effect less uh, irritating. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that part was a little bit weird at first and like comic book style, like the rest of it kind of worked for me. Like I didn't mind the old school, like bam, pow. Yeah, that stuff was cute. It was was, like a cute aesthetic. Yeah. Um, And I really liked like the graffiti and how that, how they did that. Mm I, I loved some of the, the last fight scene. The graphics in that were really impressive. That, yeah. like, the climact, climactic battle um, was really impressive. And some of just, like, the him leaping off of buildings um, shots and stuff. This was when I, I wished we had still been in Australia at the when we got free IMAX tickets. Yeah. Because this would have been such a cool one to see on that giant screen with some of the um, jumping off buildings shots and stuff. Sure. That were really impressive. Um but it was a little bit overstimulating. <laughs> yeah. Like, just lots of colors and lots of things flying too at you. Too much to look at sometimes. Yeah, a little bit too much to look at sometimes. So maybe a big screen would have been too intimidating. I don't know. Um, did you notice the soundtrack in this movie? Uh, it was hip, oh. I guess. The kids at school the kids will love not it, you're saying. stop singing Sunflower. I know you, hate, you claim to hate Post Malone. Yeah. But... All of my kids are obsessed with Sunflower. It's all I heard, I've heard for three weeks. I was like the coolest teacher in school one of the days, uh, like right after Christmas break when I put the um, Into the Spider-Verse soundtrack on. Now the kids are like, oh, I don't like the song. They're over it. But uh, it made me cool that I had seen that. Good for you. Movie didn't have a ton of staying power for me. Like I haven't, you know, thought I haven't about thought it about that it that much. much since we've seen it. Um... Did you, you, you like actively didn't want to see it though. Like, what did you feel when we were watching it? Did you, were you like, yeah, that was fine. Or were you like, oh, I knew I shouldn't have seen this. No, it was, yeah, that was fine. It was very, very creative. Um, and it was, yeah, it was not a typical, uh, superhero movie, which I appreciated. Yeah. It had some of the same beats, obviously, of the kid coming, uh, the person, person coming into their powers and having to fight the evil person. Um, and the, oh, are they going to fail? Are they going to get back up? Whole thing. Yeah. Um, I liked that... Uh, it Aunt May sp- was a badass. I liked that Aunt May was a badass. And that Uncle Aaron was not the linchpin of him becoming a superhero. Um, but I liked that it showed him struggling a lot with it. Because I feel like in other superhero movies, that part kind of it's gets usually played just out a, in the beginning. Uh, There's like a training montage in the beginning montage, and, then they're, yeah, exactly. and then they're ready. And this one, it was kind of the opposite. Most of the movie was him struggling to be confident and to come into his powers and to feel like he he owned it. And uh, it kind of came through just in time for the final battle. But the majority of the movie was actually him struggling with it, sometimes to comedic effect, sometimes to sad effect, yeah. and sometimes somewhere in between. But it seemed more realistic, especially for... I mean, Peter Parker's supposed to be in high school. Like, especially for a high schooler, it seemed so much more realistic for him to not be confident, for him to be really awkward and really um, clumsy and not really know what to do with himself. Uh, and then it made it that much better of a moment when it did click. Because you were like, yeah, like it made you root for him a little bit more. Sure. Um, you... You, it wasn't just, like, assumed that you were going to root for him because he's the main character. Like, it really made you invested in him, I think. Yeah. And I think it's extra easy to be invested in, like, the cute little brown kid fighting the evil white dude. Um, quite literally. Yeah. So, That's how you read the room. Yes. Exactly. Uh, and I think to wrap up, I'll just mention that it had my favorite line in the movie when they have to make an escape with... With certain pieces of computer hardware. <laughs> and Jake Johnson's Peter Parker goes, I got some good news. We didn't need that monitor. He's carrying a monitor and a desktop PC while trying to w- web sling everywhere. And uh, that part made me laugh out loud. Yeah. It did have some funny parts. Yeah. Would you recommend it? Who would you recommend it to? Um, I think I think I enjoyed it better than the Tom Holland ones. Okay. It had definitely more of a... It's definitely better than the Andrew Garfield ones. Yes. Did the, I forgot about those. Yeah. Um, it was really quirky, and I appreciated that. It felt different, and Miles felt like a real person, mm-hmm. not just like Peter Parker being Peter Parker. Like, he felt like his own person aside from Spider-Man, mm-hmm. and I appreciated that. Um, I got corrected in school. Apparently, he doesn't go by Spider-Man. He goes by something else. Mm. 
like in the actual Miles Morales verse. Gotcha. Like he has a different name. Like how Gwen Stacy like went by Yeah. Spider Woman, but I guess she goes by something else too. Anyways. Hmm. So you'd recommend it to fans of superhero movies, fans of not superhero movies? I think I think you have to have some sort of interest in Spider-Man to want to dive that deep into the lore multiverse. and multiverse. Yeah. Well, thanks for seeing it with me. Sure. I did not want to. You're welcome. This is another thing that I made you do. This is just an episode full of forced marital... It's kind of this whole podcast. Oh, <laughs> What do the children love this week, honey? Children love the books. The book we're discussing. I refuse to say the title out loud. I refuse to read this book on the bus or in public. The book we're discussing is called Heads of the Colored People. It's a collection of short stories by Nafisa Thompson Spires. And Which I enjoyed the book, so I have nothing against the book, but the title is in very large, bold letters, and I was just nervous that... It could be misinterpreted. Yeah, but the the book the title comes from um, James McCune Smith. Yeah, the folks who it's I ride the bus with don't know that reference. Yeah, you think they would look at this and think it was like a manual? I don't know, honey. Just don't wear a red hat. Noted. Um, so so this... you picked up a short story collection. I don't even know you anymore. Bookstagram. I saw it on Bookstagram. As mentioned, I've been trying to diversify my reading collection a little bit and not just read, like, all young adults' uh, books by white authors. Um, the last, I realized when we were looking at our bookshelves that the two last books that I purchased for myself were both by black LGBT authors. Keep rubbing it in my deficiencies. So, I'm, well, I'm just saying I'm trying. This is this is my effort of trying and obviously I shouldn't have to so actively try, but mm -hmm. because You're of... You're speaking with your to-read list. Yeah. Although just about every author, living and dead, is on your to-read list, so does it really say that much? That's a slam on your the yeah, length of I your to-read list. I get it, but at this point I'm trying to intentionally add books to my to-read list that are by authors of color, um, and more specifically black authors, mm -hmm. and bump them up on my to-read list so that they're not just sitting on there wallowing with the rest of the authors. So this was a book that I had seen on Bookstagram, got some good reviews, and I was like, I don't read a lot of short stories, I'm trying to read some different things this year, I'm trying to read some more nonfiction this year, so I'm gonna give this one a try. And it... Uh, got bumped up more in my to read list than I expected because I went through the li my like our library page. Library roulette. You never know what's going to come. Yeah, anything that had like quite a few holds ahead of me, I just put my name down for because you never know when they're going to come up. So I just put my name down for a bunch uh, that had a lot of people waiting ahead of me, and this one came up almost straight away. So it was recently published. I think it's pretty. Yeah, no, it's hot off the press. Yeah, 2018. There so, you go. less than a year old. Um, so it is... How many short stories were there? Uh, maybe ten? Twelve. Twelve stories, yeah. Twelve stories. Um, all of them about experiences of being black in America. Yep. For the most part. Um, and I had seen reviews specifically about a couple of them. Um... And they I didn't end up being the ones that I liked the most. But no. uh, they were... I don't read a lot of short story collections, but I did like that this one... Uh, they were all kind of tangentially related. They weren't so obviously related where it's like person A, person B, person C. But they also had some sort of connection that made it interesting and it, it made it fun for me kind of to try and guess and figure out how it connected to the previous story. Um, the first story in the collection goes like straight for the jugular. Like, yes, definitely. Uh, a little too meta for me, perhaps, but... And the author comments on how meta it is, which is like kind of like third-degree Inception. Meta, meta, meta. Yeah. I thought the most interesting part... I was like literally two pages in, and I was like, okay, I'm going to make you read this too. Mm. Um, 
like right right away it's like he was not self-hating he was even listening to drake although you could make it fetty wop if his appreciation for trap music changes something for you because all that's relevant here is that he wasn't against the music of his people or anything like that so it's like talking to you the reader like it's breaking yeah. the fourth wall and being like basically it doesn't matter what music it listens to if it changes how you see him mm -hmm. but this is the point i'm trying to get across and she like breaks the fourth wall yeah. to tell the reader that and it does that like a few times um like and if there's something meta in the narrator's consciousness and self-consciousness or this overindulgent aside it isn't meta for the sake of being meta like it knows that it's being meta yeah and it's talking about being meta while it's being meta right so in the very first story i was like this author is clearly brilliant she's clearly a lot smarter than me but I sort of felt like she was rubbing that in a little too much, and I was definitely out of my element. I expected to be out, out of my element because of the subject matter, and instead the language in the first story, I was just like, whoa. Like, I, I might need to read it like five times just to grasp it. Yeah, what's that, um, like, quote that was a meme that's like, um... You're living in 2008 and she's living in like 2800 or something. Yeah. Like, it seemed like she was just like way ahead of me. Yeah. Like, I think I, if I was the editor of the collection, perhaps would have put that at the end to bookend everything else. Um, I actually disagree with you. I'm not sure. It was just a lot up front. It was a lot up front, but I think it was a good intro of basically calling out your preconceptions or the way that you view the characters that she's writing mm. um that kind of shocked your system a little bit and gave you maybe a more blank slate going into the rest of them or kind of called out any um prejudices you might have before reading the stories so i liked that i about see it. what you mean um i actually would have maybe separated some of that meta stuff from the plot of the first story yeah i kind of like, like the plot of the first story but i i felt like the meta stuff overshadowed yeah. the plot and i thought the plot was really shocking but i that's that's the point too yeah right like she even admits the voice is off-putting all the important action happens off screen um yeah like she even admits that she's doing it on purpose and i think maybe that's the point is that it gets pushed to the background yeah. And we let it get pushed to the background of our narrative. Like, how many times have we seen a black person get shot down for something like this and it gets pushed to, like, the mm -hmm. the background and doesn't become a national story? Yeah. It's a very interesting story. It's, yeah. And it's sad. Um, yeah, personally, I just felt like the author was at her best when she kind of gave in to the, more of the rules of fiction and, like, created her characters through normal dialogue and plot and put them in interesting situations. Like, I felt like she was still a very good writer even when she sort of was dumbed playing it. playing in the rules. Playing within the rules, that's yeah. a good way of saying it. Um, so those were the stories that stood out for me. I, I guess I'm just kind of saying that I think her breaking the rules in the first one mm -hmm. gave a more interesting read to the ones where she does Certainly stick to the playbook. Certainly her, yeah. Her um, so I... The first one definitely, like, woke me up. Like, mm -hmm. jump, like, not, that wasn't meant to be a pun on being woke, but it definitely kind of, it like. It was, though. It definitely yeah. kind of, like, got my attention, I guess. Yeah. And then the first couple were just okay. I was reading them being like, okay, it's a short story. Yeah, the, the next one is a little bit jarring because it's all about uh, workplace drama. I think that's the whole point. That not all black stories about someone being shot. Yeah. No, I got that. Um, the one that I was most interested in, one of the reasons I picked up the book was this Bella Letras one. The epistolary one. The epistolary one, because I love epistolary shit. And uh, it sounded interesting. And that one was like my least favorite one. It didn't, it didn't work yeah. for me. And I don't know if... Uh, I, I honestly think I just didn't get it. I don't think that one was for me. Yeah. Because um, it was a lot about being like the only black students in a white school and stuff like that, which is not going to be an experience I can relate that much to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't. That one didn't really work as well for me as I wanted it to. But then I, some of the middle ones. Like, I really like the next couple ones, especially when they would explore. Like there's one black character who. Like gets 
gets picked on for liking white things. Like I had never really heard any stories about that dynamic of when you're not black enough for your black friends. Okay. So, so I was that was like a new, yeah. uh, new experience for you. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that one was interesting too about your whiteness and your blackness. And we have some of those yeah. dynamics at school because we have a lot of kids that are mixed and like if they don't live with their black parents or um, grow up in a different kind of neighborhood than some of the other kids and just um, the range in this collection, though, because they are all sort of are rooted in, you know, black stories, but the black American experience, but eating disorders and suicide, it's and it's almost just, like being black isn't the only part of your identity, and things are intersectional. Look at me learning things like as I flip through this disability book. and blackness and eating disorders and blackness, and, and then this one where she goes for like more straight humor almost of the the fruititarian couple <laughs> where they only eat fruit which i know is a real thing uh or at least claims to be a real thing but this this uh straight satire yeah this married couple dynamic of reality um, tv show nonsense yeah. and hmm and that was the one after that um. Oh, the girl gets can't into kill herself? social media stuff. Yeah, lots of commenting mm -hmm. on social media. You like that one? I like this one a lot. Yeah. One. Yep. We're flipping through a paper book, people. From the library. Yeah. The weird um, ASMDR. What was the letters? Oh yeah, weird YouTube shit going on. The YouTube on. one. This is thrilling for people. <sighs> so yeah, it's it's a little bit of an uneven collection, but I think you could probably say that about it, almost every short story collection. I thought it was more even than some of the other short story collections. I thought that like the pacing was interesting. It was... Um, I don't know if you could say that any short story collection is addicting necessarily because they're mm. all separate and like self-contained to some you extent. You can always to kind of put it down um, after reading one. But I didn't for this one. Like I read mm. it all in one sitting, which... For me, for a short story collection, yeah. it's pretty impressive that I, like, wanted to keep reading like that. It wasn't like, oh, I finished that short story. I'm going to go put this down for a yeah. while. Like, and I wanted to see what the next one was and I've, how it connected. I've mentioned that I'm a stickler for, you know, chapter page counts and things. Like, I love, like, evenly spaced chapters, like, all digestible chapters. And in this case, like, the worst thing is when you pick up a short story collection and you get to, like, the third story and it's 60 pages long. Yes, I was just going to say that. And you're like, no. I didn't sign up for a novella and your little experiments no. on the side. No. So this one, they were all of the correct length, I would say. I also felt like they um, had more plot than a lot of other short story collections that I've read. And I appreciate... Yeah. I think they did. They had more of a rising this and falling action. wasn't too literate. They didn't all... They don't, didn't all have, like, a clincher at the end. It like, claims so, to be literary fiction in the jacket. Yeah, I was shocked that you didn't find it too literary. No. Because there was a plot and interesting characters in all of them. Sure. And I just feel like sometimes literary stuff, like, I don't know if they try to be too weird with their short stories. They do. Or if they're just like, a short story is a good reason for me to just do an, a 40-page introspective on a character that I thought of one time. Mm -hmm. Whereas I felt like this one all had enough plot progression in the stories that I found them interesting to keep going. Like, they felt like, this is going to sound dumb, but they felt like... Stories. Short stories. <laughs> not just, like, short word count experiments, experiments that yeah. you decide to publish. Like, they felt like they were their own self-contained, fully realized stories that were short. But she's definitely... And I don't always an, feel a lot about short stories. She's definitely an MFA-er. Oh, for sure. It is yeah. literary. And she's writing for literary people. Sure. Yeah. But... Not that there's anything wrong with that. I thought it was more accessible than some other short story collections. Like, if you were not typically a short story person, I think you could pick this up and still enjoy it mm -hmm. and get a bunch of small, maybe new experiences or new points of view in kind of short, digestible format. This is a good month to do it. So, if you are looking for a way to assuage your white guilt, assuming you're white... Um, basically all I do nowadays. This is a good place to start. I'm not saying it's the only thing you need to do, but it is a good baby step or a good stepping stone. Um, 
Once again, it's called Heads of Colored People, and I think I would actually recommend it. All right. We mostly agreed about a book and a movie. Mm -hmm. No confrontation this episode. Do you have any upcoming things that we can disagree about? One that you're going to be super excited about. Uh, we all know that Heather is a huge Fifty Shades of Grey fan. Have, have you heard what E.L. James is working up next? Oh, God. I don't want to know. She is doing erotic Cinderella stories. I hate the world. <laughs> what did I say I hated the world about before? Uh, bikers, bikers on ice? Bikers. Which one's worse? It's a tie. Erotic Cinderella story. Maxim Trevelyan, Alessa DiMacci. Huh? Those are the names of the characters, apparently. Yikes. Once again, I don't, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I have read better fan fiction for free. Mm -hmm. I don't need to read these. I don't understand how you can even sell them when they are fan fiction. Which is free and better written. Yeah. Any upcoming stuff on your side? Um, the Miseducation of Cameron Post, which was a book that I didn't particularly like, um, is going to be an HBO series. Okay. I can see it being an HBO series. It's like a coming-of-age, coming-out uh, lesbian story. Mm -hmm. uh, wasn't a big fan. Um, also, Kiernan Shipko. Is now just going to be on the Netflix payroll forever, I guess. Okay. She isn't going to be in the adaptation of the book Let It Snow, which is John Green, Maureen Johnson, and Lauren Miracle. Okay. A book by all three of them that I haven't read because Now why? we're doing three-headed authors? This was a while ago, actually. This is an old book. Oh, but, wow. But um, apparently they're making a Netflix movie of that. Um, Miss Bala, we keep seeing that. I yeah. can't decide if I want to see it. It's got Gina Rodriguez being a badass. Watch those trailers but on mute and you're just like, what, 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 what? It gets a little crazy. Mm. Um, That's definitely a Redbox one for me, I think. Yeah. Where it's like we're bored and we get a free Redbox movie and maybe we'll get that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, Although the last time I watched a movie for her, I was traumatized permanently. So maybe I shouldn't. Annihilation. Yes. Um, and the last one was Kim Possible, the live-action reboot. I feel like people have been talking about this for well, decades. Well, I saw the trailer of it. Oh, really? Horrifying. In what way? It looked nothing like it. Like, Disney released a trailer being like, look familiar. Wait, and it what was is like it? A, is it a show, a movie? What a is it? A show, I think. Um, and it was like, look familiar. And it was like a side-by-side -side of the two of them. Mm -hmm. Here. Mm. Not even a good side by side thing. No. <laughs> no, it doesn't have like the aesthetics or anything. No, nothing. Weird. Like, not the same aesthetic or tone at no. all. The girl has, I guess she vaguely has red hair, but she, like, does not. <laughs> Checks all the boxes. She, like, doesn't, and she's wearing a black shirt, but she, like, does not embody the Kim Possible vibe at all. Uh, it looks terrible. Wow. It looks terrible. So that will be a disappointment for sure. Uh, anything else? Um, I think... Yeah, we're going to start adding another segment to the end what? of our episodes where we review the week's preview of the show on ABC, A Million... <laughs> what is it called? Little Things? A million, million Little Pieces? What's it called? I don't even know. Oh, God. This week That probably changes every week, too. So, we've started... So, cut to the chase. We get previews for this in one of the shows we watch. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, two weeks ago... It was like a thriller, a mystery thriller drama. We need to find out who's been at the center of the death. And we were like, what? 
Um, and so anyways, today's, this, this week's quote of the week was, you all need to do me a favor. Love, Love each other. <laughs> In this very dramatic, like, I'm kind yeah. of voice and it's like you can do one thing for me you can love each other yeah so i just love <laughs> watching the other one was yeah i'll dare you to do something i dare you to get chemo, chemo. so i just love oh watching that show through through its commercials there's nothing worse though than that matthew mcconaughey commercial you are so up in arms about him playing he, pool by himself he's like in the middle of a party Walks away, goes to play pool by himself. They're like watching from the doorway. And they're like, we've never seen anything like this before. <laughs> it's like, what? A man playing pool alone? I don't understand what they've never seen before. And then he walks out into the garage and gets into his car and drives away. And he's just like, strokes the car and goes, whoa. <laughs> and then that's it. I don't get it. We should really pivot just to a commercial, a commercial podcast. Oh my gosh. A bigger room. What? <laughs> Unexpected relative. Mom, what are you doing here? Okay. Oh, man. We're done? I think we're done. I think we did it. We're going to take next week off, probably, for El Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. Um, and we'll come back with some new stuff. We're so close to being done killing Eve. Really, really close. We will be soon. Okay. Godspeed. Right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.